0: You're listening to the NOACA Report podcast, the show that brings you in-depth news and discussion on innovative and integrated metropolitan planning. This is where connectivity begins with your hosts Danielle Render and Gail Godek. Hello and welcome to the NOACA Report, a podcast brought to you by the Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, our local metropolitan planning organization for Northeast Ohio. I'm Gail Godek, here with co-host Danielle Render. This is a podcast series about NOAA's Long Range Plan ENEO twenty fifty. We will be your guide to exploring important and engaging topics on transportation and environmental planning. That's right, Gail. And in this episode, we're
1: talking about building communities for safer mobility. All people deserve to safely walk, bike, and take transit and drive through their communities, right? Well, today we're delving into transportation policies and programs that will help reconstruct or improve our city streets or networks so that active transportation like bicycling and walking is safe and comfortable for all. And we're delighted to have our guest today, Jacob Van Sickle, who is the executive director of Bike Cleveland, to discuss. This topic. Thank you for being here, Jacob.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: So, before we dive into this discussion on building communities for safer mobility, um, we just want to know more about Bike Cleveland and the work that you do.
2: Yeah, so Bike Cleveland, we're the region's bicycle and pedestrian advocacy organization. Um, you know, our mission is really about creating a region that's sustainable, connected, healthy, and vibrant by promoting bicycling and advocating for. Uh, safe and equitable transportation for
1: all. I love that. And and I believe it's a member-based organization as well.
2: Yeah, correct. Yeah, we're a membership-based organization. So we have uh, over a 1,000 dues-paying members uh, that uh, support our work uh, for advocacy and education for people out biking and walking.
1: I love that. I always, every time that, you know, I see Bicycle Cleveland, there's always this sort of mantra you see, working for safe streets. And so um, I I love the advocacy around that. I applaud your efforts and um, the work that you've been doing. And uh, it's this commitment in this area. It's very strong and intentional. um, Talking about growing the cycling community and promoting safety and just bringing awareness.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, our our work really falls into a number of buckets. You know, our 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 main bucket's really advocacy, but we also do a number of education and encouragement programs. You know, Um, things like um, you know, providing education for people of all ages and abilities. Really, we we started with uh, the Cleveland Department of Aging a couple years ago a program called Silver Spokes, which is really about Mm you know, getting seniors out biking and, yeah. and doing it in a safe fashion and also talking with them about kind of driving around people on bikes safely. Um, we we have a, a program called Random Acts of Brightness where we give out lights to volunteers that ride around at night um, to give them to people that are riding their bikes unlit, you know, so they can be safe and talk with them about, you know, safety of, you know, making sure you're visible while you're riding your bike at nighttime. Um, and then we also host a number of kind of encouragement programs, things like Bike to Work Day, or we partner with NOACA on uh, the Commuter Choice Challenge. Or we have a fundraising ride we do every fall called the Fundo, um, mm-hmm. which kind of leads into advocacy in our work because it's, it's really a neighborhood-based ride that we use to kind of showcase some of the newer bike facilities, bike lanes, and trails that have been installed over the past past year.
0: You know, it's interesting, Jacob, because you talked about, you know, the older people. Um, you know, I've been on long-distance rides, you know, like the Great Ohio Bicycle Adventure, you know, GOBA. And there are people of all ages. There are little kids who are being pulled in trailers. There are little ones who are on tandem bikes. And that there are older people, and they look like the most out-of-shape people that you can imagine. <laughs> and here they are on these long rides. And it just goes to show that no matter what age you are, you can pretty much ride a bike.
2: Yeah, you know, biking is really that bridge that kind of can help bring people together. You know, Mm -hmm. know, for us, it's really about connectivity and connecting communities, but um, you know, anybody can get out on a bike. Um, you know, even if you have, you know, bad knees, you know, you could get an e-bike. Um, or if you're a little older and have balance issues, you can get a tricycle. Um, you know, so there's, there's a bike for everybody. And um, it's something that, you know, we really see as kind of, you know, something that can help kind of bring the community together and whether you're, you know, you're old, young, black or white.
0: Is that something that Bike Cleveland can do, like help you find a bike that would be appropriate for you?
2: Yeah, we have some resources. We have a, a Biking in Cleveland guide, which talks about the different types of bikes that we point people to a lot, um, you know, figuring out which is the best bike for you for the purposes that you're going to use it. Um, and we get emails from folks, hey, I'm looking for a, a tandem bike or I'm looking for you know a bike to ride around the neighborhood with my kids. And we can point people to you know some good local bike shops that carry um, a bike that might fit their needs.
1: I love hearing that. I, I would be uh, the next person that would need some help looking for a bike. We kind of laughed and talked about that earlier. you know. Um, and Gail, maybe you want to talk a little bit about um, one of the activities that we actually had at the office um, for a bike ride. And um, I, I didn't get to go, but I listened in envy. So um, definitely encourage Jacob to do that.
0: Yeah, well, what this was, was, um, as you probably know, NOACA f- funds a lot of bike trails and bike lanes and things like that. So we took um, anybody uh, in the agency, any who worked there, we had about oh, maybe a dozen to 15 people who went on this bike ride, and we rode along some of those trails and some of the, the places on the near west side that uh, NOACA had funded, and it was so much fun. And I hadn't ridden a bike in about, know four years and you know my one knee is not the greatest but boy I made it up those hills and downhill was just so exhilarating and I told the person who organized this, this ride, I said, you know, this was the most fun I have had at work (laughs) all year. It it was truly great. And it's great to see these projects coming about and, you know, these smooth trails and, you know, it it was just really terrific of of all the, the work that people are doing to put in trails so that people can ride safely and get around.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great to hear. You know, one of the things that we try to do a lot is actually get a lot of you know decision makers and people that are funding these types of facilities or designing them out on bikes. So, mm-hmm. you know, the past couple of years we've been um, intentional on working to get you know city council members out on bikes in their neighborhood so they can kind of experience what it's like to be out on a bike into their ward, um, or getting traffic engineers or planners out on bikes so they can you know kind of see what it feels like to be out on a bike in the mm-hmm. on a specific road, um, and hoping that. You know, having that experience helps kind of inform their decision-making processes around. You know, how can we make this safer for people that aren't in a car, somebody Mm -hmm. that might be biking or walking?
1: That's excellent. Mm -hmm. And I and you mentioned that um, you're working with so many community organizations and municipalities, and you know, we we've seen some of the work that you've done with the safe routes to school. But tell us a little bit about the Cleveland Zero City um, project. I think that that's um, something that. is nearer to Noaka as well and working with you on.
2: Yeah, so um, about uh, two years ago, uh, me and a couple lawyers, uh, Ken Kanaby, Cleveland's bike attorney, and Andy Young, who's a truck attorney, uh, approached Councilman Matt Zone to talk with him about um, making Cleveland a Vision Zero city. And mm-hmm. for those that are listening that aren't familiar with what Vision Zero is, it's a strategy to eliminate all traffic fatalities and serious injuries on the roadways. And this is across all modes of use, mm-hmm. whether you're driving, you're biking, you're walking, you're using public transit, whatever it might be. Um, and that process has, has, you know, in earnest moved forward over the past two years. And uh, actually, uh, this fall, the city released an RFP and selected a consultant to develop a Vision Zero Zero action plan, which will, you know, cover um, uh, looking at the data and determining, you know, where are um, crashes happening and what mm-hmm. are the causes, um, and then developing strategies for eliminating them uh, across the realms of engineering and education and engagement um, across uh, fleet vehicles and maintenance. Um, so we're really excited about that plan because we think it'll it'll really help uh, bolster um, kind of the engineering, the design of our roadways to make sure that they're they're serving the needs of all users in a safe fashion.
0: Excellent. And I know sometimes uh, NOACA has been involved in some safety studies, and um, I think one of them was the Detroit uh, Bridge that, you know, trying to adjust the lanes and things. So can you talk maybe about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, NOACA provided technical assistance to uh, convert the eastbound lane on the Detroit-Superior Bridge um, to make it uh, p- bike and pedestrian only um, you know w- this is something we'd been pushing for for a, a few years um, and then it kind of came to a crux uh, when a cyclist was actually uh, sideswiped by the side view mirror of a taxi mm-hmm. in that lane um, you know if you had ever been across to the a shortsbury bridge before it was converted you would know that you know it's really a, it was a harrowing experience you know a lot of trucks and buses coming up and the lane was wide enough uh, it seemed for For a car and a bike to fit, but it really wasn't. Um, So actually NOACA worked with the city of Cleveland and the council members in the area um, to develop a plan to actually close off that lane. Um, And it's actually, it it, it reckons back to history because there was a plan, I believe it was in 1993, uh, put together by, at the time it was uh, Eco City Cleveland, I believe, which Mm -hmm. became Green City Blue Lake and Mm -hmm. Cleveland Public Theater. Um, to actually convert that side um, and come, you know, 17 years later, uh, 15 years later, uh, it's actually happened.
0: Has that helped? Um, I mean, I know it seems like a lot of people ride across that bridge. Is is that, do you think that's helped? Or have you heard positive things from the riders?
2: Yeah, we have. And if you look at some of the bike count data that noaka does, you'll see, uh, you know, the bike counts in the area along that bridge have actually gone up. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's an important facility in terms of connections because they're, they're really across the Kiger the River Valley. You have Lorraine Carnegie Bridge or you have the Detroit Superior Bridge. And, you know, connecting the bridge to the existing bike lane on Detroit Superior Bridge. And then there's bike lanes on the other side of the bridge on Superior. Um, it, was really, it was really good to see that, that actually physical connection of a bike facility across the River Valley in the downtown and out of downtown.
1: So have you found it challenging um, an aspect of accommodating bicycles and community planning throughout our region?
2: Um Yes, at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's always uh, there's always a balancing act that you want to accommodate when, when we're advocating for bike lanes. You mm-hmm. know, our work is really about connecting the network. You know, I, yeah. I often tell people if we built our, our interstate highway system the same way that we build our bike network, uh, n- nobody would ever drive a car uh, because nothing would be connected. People wouldn't be able to get out of their driveway to get to where they need to go. Um, you know, so... When uh, the city or a community is uh, repaving a street, uh, we really like to look at kind of uh, an aerial view of, you know, where are other bike facilities? And if there were a facility on this mm-hmm. roadway, does it make uh, a meaningful connection in the bike network? Um so I think two recent examples we've been working with council members and community development corporations in the city are um, a, a meaningful bike connection on West 65th Street, um, mm-hmm. which will connect some of those trails you guys probably rode as a staff, um, the Red Line Greenway and the Lakefront Bikeway North. So West 65th runs north and south, so it'll connect those two facilities, and uh, at the time we were really pushing for a protected bike lane because you know you're coming from a protected, safe facility, being a multi-purpose trail. Uh, And we want to be able to get people north and south to make those connections to those trails and to the lakefront. Um, And, you know, we we got a lot of pushback from, you know, the city and city traffic engineering around, Mm -hmm. you know, what that facility should look like. And we came to some compromises, um, you know, where we, we think that the facility is going to be designed better than it was originally, where it was just mm-hmm. a typical bike lane, um, you know, create using some green paint and painting the bike lanes through the intersections and using some reflectors to be able to create a little bit more mm-hmm. visibility of the bike lane. Um, so it's it's really just a balancing act between you know how much traffic's on the road if if parking on street parking is needed or not um that's kind of our biggest obstacle is you know everybody really just wants on street parking think,
1: yeah <laughs> um, yeah
2: but, but my opinion personally, and I think as Bike Cleveland is, you know, the streets are a public space and, mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly people need spaces to park their car, uh, but there's always other side streets, there's always driveways. And if you can create a meaningful, safe bike connection by removing on street parking, um, then it serves a greater good than just a single car parking space.
1: It kind of leads us into uh, a topic on what we like to talk about. has just established a complete and green streets policy. And uh, this year that ensures the needs of all road users, as you were mentioning, are included in our everyday transportation planning and design practices. So um, how does that kind of translate into the work that you do? Because I know that, you know, the city of Cleveland, Cleveland, City of Cleveland Heights, they've all have, and others some policies, but um, this is a movement that has happened for quite some time. So, where do you see where we're at right now? The work that collectively that we're doing.
2: Yeah, so you know, complete street policies are are, are an important piece of uh, law that would essentially requires that municipalities accommodate the needs of all roadway users uh, when they're redesigning or reconstructing or repaving a street. Um, in the city of Cleveland, we've had one, an, an ordinance um, since 2011. Mm-hmm. And you know, since that ordinance uh, was passed, there's been uh, a little bit over 100 new miles of bike facilities installed, and that includes multi-purpose trails as well. Um, but actually, in our analysis, we found that you know, while that's great, there were... There were about 30% of the streets that were repaved over that time period that didn't get any sort of complete element. Mm-hmm. And going back to Vision Zero, if you look at uh, Cleveland's Vision Zero high injury network, a number of those streets that didn't get improvements um, were those streets um, that, that were missed over the past you know, nine or so years. Okay. Um, So I think for us, uh, you know, complete streets play a crucial role in our advocacy work. You know, it's something we can point to to say, you know, you have this policy that requires you look at the needs of all roadway users when you're planning or or rebuilding this roadway. so, yeah, for us, they're, they're, they're really important pieces, and I, I applaud NOACA for for passing a Complete Streets policy, and you know, we're currently working with the City of Cleveland to amend their ordinance to give it a little bit more uh, transparency and a little mm-hmm. bit more teeth.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Um you know a lot of times people will refer to well planners will refer to biking and walking and all is is active transportation and so what is the correlation between like the green streets or complete streets and active transportation planning
2: yeah so i think you know for us you know having a a roadway that is safe and comfortable for somebody to bike or walk um helps facilitate active transportation. Um, you know, somebody's not going to hop on a bike if they don't feel comfortable, you know, going mm-hmm. from their house to their destination. So mm-hmm. by building a complete street, by building a bike lane or a protected bike lane um, or a buffered bike lane, um, that really connects somebody from where they live to where they need to go will help facilitate the increase of active transportation, which is you know good for community health, uh, especially mm-hmm. in this time of COVID. Good for your mental health, mm-hmm. getting out of the house. Um, it's good for the environment and the air quality. You know, replacing car trips with somebody biking is, is certainly better for the community. And and you know we talked about this a little bit earlier, <clears throat> but it's also just. It, it reinvigorates you, you know, it really connects yeah. you to the community that you're, that you're traveling through versus, you know, being in a car with the windows up and your own sound system and your own air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it makes you feel like you're part of the community.
0: It really does. I mean, I can tell you that for myself, just riding a bike, you, you have time to look around. You can notice, you know, animals, you can hear birds singing, um, you're going a little slower, so, you know, you can notice things, mm-hmm. and it seems like you pay more attention yeah. I know that you were gonna talk about before um before we came in, you were
1: talking about uh, the pandemic and um how the perc- what the percentages of commuting um, has done for you know active transportation.
2: Yeah, so we've certainly uh you know seen an upsurge in people uh biking uh during uh during the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you spend any time in the Cleveland Metro Parks, you'll see that. Um, you know the the trails are full the roadways are full of people out biking and walking and um, you know even just looking at uh, we we review some external data sources like Strava Metro data which Mm -hmm. measures uh, you know people biking or walking for recreation or transportation and uh, you know we saw in you know May, June, July and August you know an increase in the number of people out biking and um, we think some of that is due to just people wanting to get out of the house and Mm -hmm. get some physical activity you know Mm -hmm. gyms are closed and you know still being able to maintain your mental health,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but also um, you know people you know not using car sharing as much or maybe not accessing public transit as much out of fear of COVID. So turning mm-hmm. to um, either biking or walking as a way to get you know to the grocery store or to get to school or if they have to to get to work.
0: I was yeah, I was. You could go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention that um, from what I've heard that um, well, it's kind of good. F- COVID-19 has been good for the bicycle shops because they're selling bicycles. Uh, sometimes they're out of bicycles and people are ordering them, trying to get them. Um, there's, I, I've heard that there's been a shortage of tires if you have a flat tire. So that is probably the one good thing that's come out of COVID-19.
2: Yeah, definitely. The bike <laughs> shops were slammed. Uh, I went into a few bike shops during COVID, and uh, you know the floors are filled with bikes, but they're not bikes to sell. They're bikes that are waiting to be repaired that people wow. dropped off. Okay, um, you know, so that's certainly uh, a positive thing. And you know, our our hope is you know we can advocate for uh, you know safe environments for those people to continue to bike mm-hmm. after COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other. Thing, you know, one of our uh, programs that we started in response to COVID and in response to the bike shortage was a program called Bike Match. And it's modeled after a program that started in, in uh, New York City Uh, where we were uh, soliciting uh, bike donations from people that might have an extra working bicycle in the garage Mm. um, and offering it up to somebody that might uh, be looking for a bike or that might need one to get, you know, for essential travel or to ride for their mental health. Um, So as part of that program, we were actually able to match up about 23 people with bikes, uh, kind of in a peer-to-peer exchange. Um, And I think that it's for me it was, it, was, it was a great program, and um you know we still have about a hundred people that filled it out that were requesting bikes that we didn't have the opportunity to get bikes to them um but in you know in a time of kind of extreme isolation, it was heartwarming for me that you know somebody would offer up a bike out of their garage that they're not using and, mm-hmm. and give it to a stranger so that they can use it to get around
0: that's wonderful, yeah, it's a great story.
1: I think it's interesting too when you were talking about um um, safety, you know, and, and I've thought about being mindful of geographical equity as well. You know, I thought about, you know, there's children from low income households or children of color who are more likely to bike or walk to school than um, those who are maybe on higher income. And the difference between those sometimes are the conditions for walking and bicycling are more dangerous. As a result, um, they may be more likely to get killed or harmed from walking and biking. So um, what do you think as far as within your work? Have you seen such improvements in our region? I know you touched a lot on um, a lot of the policies and the ordinances that we've been finding, but um, do you see a surge of interest or advocacy in those areas for schools?
2: Yeah, certainly. And, you know, we worked with um, Cleveland Metropolitan School District in the city of Cleveland a number of years ago to develop a Safe Routes to School travel plan for all of the K-8 uh, CMST schools, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And that, you know, is improving, you know, physically the environment of how kids are getting to school, enhanced crosswalks and narrowing roadways. Um, and also, um, you know, providing funding to do programs to kind of teach kids to bike and walk safely. Um, but, you know... One of the things I always point out is, you know, um, you know, complete streets are are meant for everybody. And mm-hmm. you know, in, in June, um, in response to a lot of the social unrest that we saw in Cleveland and across the country, you know, our board issued a, a statement, um, you know, that really reiterated that, you know, building a connected bike network and safe pedestrian environments, you know, as part of safe streets for all. Mm-hmm. Um, it really means creating an environment where people of, of all ages and abilities, but especially you know, African-Americans and other persons of color feel safe and comfortable using our city streets as public spaces for recreation, transportation, protest, and, and anything else. Um, and if you look at um, you know Cleveland's Vision Zero data, um, you'll see kind of the inequity of um, where our where the fatalities, where the highest number of fatalities and serious injuries are mm-hmm. occurring, and it's on the it's on the east side of Cleveland. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you were to overlay our high injury network, which is you know again the, the, where the highest number of fatalities and serious injuries are happening, um, you overlay that with a redlining map, or mm-hmm. you overlay that with a high infant mortality map. Yeah. Um, you're looking at the same map, um, you know. So for us, and our work is really about ensuring that you know no matter where it's happening in the city, we want our streets to be safe for, you know, people that want to bike and walk, but also mm-hmm. especially people that have to bike and walk.
1: I love that. And and with NOACA, um, uh, we've watched um, by Cleveland and the work that you've done um, and the connections and um, what you've done to the community um, just to bring awareness. And uh, it's really helped us. You know, we do have a um, safe program. Uh, we work with you do know, the safe route to school and, uh, and really talking about safety and traffic fatalities. And so um that's one of the the things that we would love to continue to keep talking about and would love for you to come back um, to discuss more um, with um, some of our NOACA guests, because um, strategies and planning for the future um, is what we do. Um, even with the e 2050, um, we would love to continue to talk about that.
0: So is it possible that if some of these intersections are improved, that... Um, accidents and fatalities may go down even if we get more bike riders?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, and you you see this in cities across the country where, you know, as you you make uh, the streets safe and you're accommodating people biking in a manner that they feel comfortable, you know, building Mm -hmm. out, Networks of trails and protected bike lanes and, and traditional bike lanes you you'll, you'll see more people out biking, um, which in turn motorists then expect to see people out biking, um, mm-hmm. which makes the street safer. Um, but I mean, the other big issue is really about speed management, and you know we saw this during COVID when traffic, um, you know, vehicle miles traveled were down right. initially, and we, we saw a lot more people speeding on the roadways because there there wasn't somebody in front of them going slower, mm-hmm. um, you know. So really if we if we were to go out tomorrow and and narrow all of the streets you know narrow all of our high injury network streets and improve the intersections to make them m- more comfortable for people biking and walking um, that will lower the, the number of fatalities and serious injuries um you know depend how as as quick as you implement them
0: mm-hmm. yeah you know, speaking of you know more people you know less traffic during the pandemic um could you maybe talk about the percentage of people, maybe who were commuting before the pandemic? Pandemic, you know, for active transportation, and maybe during, and what you might predict for after?
2: Yeah. So the data that we looked at was primarily from uh, Strava Metro data, and that doesn't that includes more than just people commuting. Um, it includes people using biking for recreation, um, and in the height of the pandemic, so kind of June, July, we saw a thirty percent increase over the previous year of, of people uh, out biking. Um, and my hope is that, you know, that growth can continue to be sustained and, and, and hopefully continue to grow and I think, you know, projects like um, a number of the Tiger projects that are happening down in the flats connecting, mm-hmm. you know, the neighborhoods into downtown, um, you know, things like the Detroit Superior Bridge Improvements, mm-hmm. um, other programs that NOACA have funded like the Midway on Superior Avenue, which would build a, a two-way protected bike lane on Superior Avenue and a similar treatment on Lorraine Avenue, which has been funded. You know, those types of projects can help kind of sustain the growth of people choosing um, to to get to work or get to school or get to the grocery store by bike
0: Mm
1: -hmm. well we love to um discuss more but i really want um you to tell us you know how can communities contact you to get involved with Bike cleveland i know that if they get on your website they're going to get a wealth of information um, about the work you do but um what can they where should they go
2: yeah, I think, you know, the best place is our website, bikecleveland.org. Um, you know, and, and I would point communities to a number of the programs that we have uh, under our education page. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have um, a police enforcement program where we work with police departments on how to kind of enforce laws to prevent pedestrian and bicycle crashes and injuries and fatalities. Um, You know, we also do uh, professional development rides um, with council members or city leaders out Mm -hmm. on the streets um, Mm -hmm. so they can experience their community out on a bicycle. Um, So yeah, I think the best place would be, you know, bikecleveland.org or shoot me an email at jacob at bikecleveland.org.
1: Wonderful. And unfortunately, we're running out of time. And like I said earlier, we'd love to invite you back and uh, connect with um, some of our staff and talk about the work that you're doing um, together collectively at NOACA. And um, to our listening audience, we thank you for tuning in. We hope you join us again for our next monthly podcast when we talk more about Northeast Ohio's regional priorities and emerging practices outlined for our E-Neal 2050.
0: And make sure to visit our website, eneo2050.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Alexa, Google, and other, other notable stations so you won't miss a show. And while you're at it, just tell a friend or colleague about the NOACA Report because we want to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Gail Godek.
1: And I'm Danielle Render. Join us again for the NOACA Report.